Hello and welcome to the All Blacks podcast. I'm Andy Burt and today I'm joined by Charlotte Wilson, who's the New Zealand rugby publisher, but I prefer to call her the historian of uh, New Zealand rugby. She knows a hell of a lot about the game. And uh, Charlotte, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. It's an honour to be here. And Charlotte, look, I thought I knew a lot about rugby when I started here, but then I met you and realised there's a lot of gaps in my knowledge. And one thing I've probably never asked you is how did you how, how did your love of rugby begin? Oh, it it was with me from childhood. My my dad kept playing until I was 16, 17 years old. So it was always on the sidelines, first for university and and then for the Christchurch Football Club where dad played. But probably more of an influence was my mum who actually coached the, the game down in Christchurch as well. And so between the two of them, you know, rugby and I were destined to be together. Fantastic. And there's someone today we're going to chat to who's probably got as much passion as yourself and your mum and your whole family, <laughs> and that's um, Peter Bush. And we're going to chat to him to celebrate the 125th anniversary of, of New Zealand rugby. For those people out there that don't know a lot about Peter, could you just give a quick bio? Oh, happily. Like, he is an absolute icon of the game. Uh, he was born in Auckland in 1931, and he started working for the New Zealand Herald as a teenager. And photography has taken Peter Bush all over the world, from... Israel, Malaysia, the Hefe track, and into many, many dark changing sheds. Uh, he's covered politics, wildlife, and most famously rugby. And known as Bushy, or the man with the golden bib, he captured some of New Zealand's most iconic rugby images throughout the 20th century. And he's still working on uh, photography today. So we've caught up with him at his home in Wellington, and we're gonna talk about where we've talked about rugby photography and the upcoming DHL New Zealand Lions series. That's a, he's a pretty amazing man and we enjoyed chatting to him so have a listen I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to him as much as we enjoyed chatting to him. Hey I'm Dave Coles and you're listening to the All Blacks podcast. Welcome to the show Bushy. Oh, thanks very much Andy. I hope this goes well. I'm sure it will. Welcome Charlotte. Uh, hi Andy it's great to be here. Hey Bushy, um, first question I have for you, um, just by way of a quick bio for the um, listeners out there. You've covered rugby for almost 60 years, I believe. Um, potentially you've, you've watched more All Black Tests live than anyone else. Um, when did you first get into photography? Well, strange to say, um, this is when I was at boarding school in Auckland, Sacred Heart College, uh, produced a few All Blacks. But um, I was there and um, two of the boys who came from America and Samoa, their father had enrolled one of them, a guy called uh, Ronnie McFarlane, had enrolled him at the New York Institute of Photography. And he used to get a parcel um, of, an, you know, of instructions, even though it was the 1945, the end of the war. Yeah. But it, it took a while for the mail. But he used to just toss it to me. He wasn't uh, one iota interested. So I, I found the lessons... They were a fair bit beyond me, but I read them and encouraged me, and I bought then a 12 and sixpenny second-hand box brownie from a, a shop in Ponsby Road, mm. and that started me on photography. Mm. And from there on, um, you know, I got keen on it, but it wasn't until I was at PR Beach one day, after just after I'd left school, and there was a guy photographing some lifesavers, women amongst them, and his name was Alan Sayers. Mm. He was still alive until about a year ago. I think he nearly turned 100. Now, I said to him, he was using a speed graphic and uh, was an American 
camera and uh, I said, wow, you know, and seeing him, photographing him. And he said, I work for the Auckland Star. And I said to him, do you think, I, he said, well, look, we've got a staff of about three or four. And he said, uh, it's kind of dead man's shoes, you know. We don't very often. But he said, why don't you try the Herald? So in a roundabout way, I, uh, through a friend, uh, was my uncle, yeah. knew one of the, uh, one of the editors, uh, a guy, Budge Hintz, and uh, anyhow, my uncle said to him, do you think there'd be, and old Budge said, well, I think that they could be looking for a darkroom boy. So in a roundabout way, mm. I ended up going into the photographic department of Wilson and Horton, i.e. the New Zealand Herald, and that was 1948. And uh, it was glass plates. Um, I've got a, one or two older cameras hanging around yeah. here to show, I could show you, but however, um, as a darkroom boy, it was my job to get the lunches, uh, mix up the developers and the hypo, and you know, be the be the dog's body around the place, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah. Awful than those days. I think it was I got seven and sixpence a week. Right. That'd be yeah. under, you know, um, well, you know, I, I yeah. equated today. It was like being paid, I suppose, a dollar fifty. Yeah. yeah. But however, I, I, you know, that was my start, mm. and I I thoroughly enjoyed it. And then gradually, I uh, I was playing rugby yeah. at the time. I was playing. I'd been playing at college mm. at Sacred Heart in the first 15. And um, then uh, I joined, I played for College Rifles, yeah. which was uh, um, a team, mm. a very old Auckland club team. Mm. But uh, when I joined it, um, most of the players were young veterans. See, this is 48. There were chaps who had fought, you know, a lot of them were from the Air Force, mm. but um, a lot also from the Army. But most of these guys were playing before they got married or settled in yeah. to a full-time job. Yeah. So another guy and I, um, Jackie Mazzolini, <coughs> we were the youngest guys in the team by far. Mm. And the other guys really looked after us. And now and again, they'd let us have a beer, you know. And we were told yeah. not to, uh, but you know, while they'd let us have one, we'd sneak another couple in. But however, yeah. yeah, that was a great, yeah. great team to belong to, yeah. and uh, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed playing. Mm. You know, and al also, in a way, I got picked for what was then the um, um, the junior Auckland junior reps, yeah. and Eric Boggs, who was a, a a winger from the Kiwi Army team and who later became Auckland selector in that. He was the selector coach of the, the junior team mm. and we went down to play Waikato, King's birthday weekend, yeah. and uh, uh, we, were, um, we were the curtain raiser. But on the way down, I remember, we stopped at Narawahia mm. and uh, he bought us a pie. Now that pie was for our lunch yeah. and I got indigestion from the pie. But I mean, we played mm. anyhow and had a couple of other games. But mm. that uh, that was the end of my rep experience. But I went, I played for Marist in Auckland, and then I came to Wellington and I played for Marist yeah. down here. When Ivan Vadanovich was the captain mm. of uh, of uh, the Marist rugby team, of course, who later became a selector. Mm. But I I scored a try one day. Um, 
Wizard Games title or one of Hard uh, Valley clubs. Yeah. And I always remember Ivan, uh, when I got up, he said, well done, Peter Bush, well done. And he, he shook my hand and he kept shaking it all the way, well done, well done. Yeah. And I mean, they took the kick and yeah. Ivan, I had to kind of pull my hand away, but that was, you know, yeah. that was, you know, that vigorous uh, yeah. Dalmatian, yeah. Uh, Yugoslav in him. But he, uh, you know, I got to know him, Ivan, very well. Mm. <laughs> that sort of thing. He was, he was a gentleman yeah. in, a, in an era, I, Sorry, I suppose, there were. Oh, hey, they're fantastic stories, but it's uh, amazing to hear about some of the gentlemen that you've worked with, some of the rogues, some of the uh, some of the in between as well. But uh, uh, so, how did you get onto the sidelines of some of the the biggest well, test matches in the twentieth well, century? Funny thing was that when I was at the Herald, one of the, the photographers, Noel Bennett, if you remember, like I said, you think of uh, I could show you with a glass plate camera that we went to a game with, it had a magazine that held 12, 12 shots. Yeah. That was, so you looked down through it and you focused, you know, and you kind of waited for the player to run into it and you're looking down through a bellows and click. And uh, the first game I really covered a big time was 49, was the second string All Blacks uh, playing Australia at Eden Park number two, mm. and it was Johnny Smith, Peter, all the boys. <clears throat> yeah. Was this the day we lost? Yeah. The day we lost two yeah. games in uh, yeah. one day. Yeah. And on the way back, I was swinging this camera, yeah. and the leather strap gave way, and the magazine fell on the ground, mm. and the glass plates all broke. Oh. But when I got back yeah. in the dark room, I was with an older photographer mm. who had really covered it, but I I got mine. And I had these bits of glass plate, and I, de I, I developed them in a dish. And one of them had enough on it you know, to show that I'd covered the game. But, I mean, the older photographer, I mean, I was given a, a fair and a well-earned dressing down from yeah. the chief photographer about, you know, dropping the camera yeah. and swinging it by its bloody leather handle. Yeah. But I, one of the older photographers was into 35 mil. Yeah. And uh, he had a hard job convincing the Herald proprietors and the printers that they said, "Oh, the the pictures are too grainy, and they'll, mm. you know, they won't reproduce." But however, he held out, and gradually, mm. um, it took quite a few years. Mm. I mean, people still went on. The favourite camera to use was the Speed Graphic, yeah. which you could kind of put up to your eye, but it meant you'd pre-focus like. From here to that chair, you'd pre-focus, and you'd wait for the player to run into the focus. Yeah. Or if you're on the, you know, of course, if you went um, to the try line, you just focused on the try line. But quite often, they might run in wide or come in. So it was a, a lot of it was hit and miss. Yeah. But it, it did. I mean, I got to say, in fairness, a lot of these older photographers became very highly skilled yeah. at covering all sport, not just rugby. Yeah. And I learned I learned a lot, you know, I was very thankful to them because I picked up so much from them. Yeah. And comparing that era of photography to today, do you think the art form is still there to the craft? Not really. I, I think it's like machine gun today. You can stand there, put your finger on the trigger. I mean, you could get a kid who is, 
you know, shall we say, these days they're all um, data or, you know, with the new age of uh, the world, of the data world, and they're pretty And you could really say, here, put your finger on the trigger when the guy. It still calls uh, for, for quite a large measure of skill, but the, these new cameras today, uh, you know, 11,000 yeah. bucks for a, uh, for a camera body, Mm-hmm. Then uh, take another fifteen or seventeen on it yeah. for a big telly lens. But I mean, with them, they've certainly taken a lot of the heartache out of uh, yeah. you know out of photography. And nowadays, you know exactly the kind of photo you've got. But I imagine going back thirty, forty plus years in the dark room, how was that moment when you realise you've got an amazing picture? Well, that, that really that was your moment of truth, you know, because you'd think secretly. You think I think I got it, yeah. but you're daring. You someone say, "Hey, how did you do with that?" Was you? Oh, I think I might. But you, you thought, "Boy, I can't wait to get in the dark room." So you'd get in the dark room, and you'd um, develop and say, "If you were still willing, you'd moved on using 120 film. You'd look it up." But of course, with 35, once you got out of the fix, you'd look at the neck. Oh, there it is. You know, a bracket of two or three. Uh, maybe two shots too soft and out of focus, the third shot sharp enough. Yeah. But I mean, also, I might add, you could go to a, a big game and uh, produce eight or ten prints and they thought that was marvellous. Yeah. These days, I, well, I do. I sit next to some of the younger roosters and I say, here you go, oh, I've only sent ten. Now, that's after a quarter of an hour play, you know. They're working on the sideline, one hand, yeah. while they're, they're, you know, yeah. mailing and sending. Um, they're so conversant. They're so quick. Uh, end of a big game, most of them are already filed, yeah. uh, captioned, have automatic captioning material, but they've already, say, filed 32 or 34 pictures. Mm-hmm. I mean, and from a big test yeah. where you've got two or three guys, one at each end and that sort of thing, uh, you know, to me, it's kind of overkill. Mm. I mean, you know, they say, oh, yeah, I like the tribe picture, but did you have that shot just beforehand when he ran past the winger? Going, oh, yeah, I think I got it there. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, to me, as I say, repeat, yeah. it just seems it's kind of an overload. Yeah. But yeah. they'd say, too bad, old boy. You know, yeah. seeing you're not with it, time, there's the exit door, keep moving. Recently, recently, Bushy, there was a, that fantastic exhibit of your photos that toured around New Zealand, I think, was in most of the galleries. I mean, going to that and looking at those pictures there, you're able to capture such sort of iconic images. And what, what was it like for you going back through that retrospective? And Well, you know, I, I, as I say, some of it had brought back really great memories because um, thinking back on it, um, you know, while you got to know them and that sort of thing, and uh, when you, you know, when they trusted you, especially a photographer, they'd quite often they'd say, "Hey, come in and grab a beer," and uh, you know, you'd go in, and uh, quite often stepped off, and you take shots of them. But uh, uh, I think, as a photographer, if you never betrayed their confidence. They would um, they would return the trust, mm. but I mean you stepped out of line, 
and uh, betrayed them. Forget it, you know. Yeah. But they, uh, yeah. as I, as I might, a little one that I could, um, one of the games at um, Athletic Park, a test against Australia, and uh, at half time, yeah. I, uh, I went out in the field. And remember, in those days, the teams stayed on the field. Yeah. So here they were, all on, still on both sides, you know, and uh, as they were, mm. you know, I'm there snapping away. Yeah. And they passed the oranges round, yeah. and I forget who, uh, the baggage man, one of them, he said, here, grab one, boy. So I grabbed yeah. a slice of orange, mm. and I was sucking into this orange, mm. and uh, old Piney mm. was standing behind me, yeah. and he said... Uh, I didn't see you pushing in the scrum, was he? You know, the gulp. Yeah. I'd really kind of, I'd overstepped the mark. I thought, yeah. hey, big boy, yeah. you know, but uh, now, uh, you know, but when I'm leading on from that, yeah. I think one of the, to me, now that the British Lions are coming, mm. one of the greatest years yeah. was that fabulous. 1952, mm. uh, or 51, sorry, mm. when the Lions mm. came. And uh, mm. uh, 1971, did I? I said 51. Yeah. 1971. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, John, all that. Yeah. And, and also, you know, great tribe of forwards and those mm. tough men and that sort of thing. But I, uh, I, I was in Dunedin when they, uh, when they defeated. And uh, later... I went to the lion's shed mm. and uh, old uh, oh, Doug, the manager, great guy, mm. uh, he hugged each one of me as they came in yeah. and uh, I got a, a nice shot of him hugging, uh, was it Barry John or the uh, the Northern Ireland winger, oh, his name will come to me, but mm. however, they, uh, I, I thought I, beforehand, I having seen in the 1966 Lions team, which arguably would, I'd say, was one of the most hopeless yeah. teams, yeah. you know, in a way. We ran all over them. And on that strength of that, um, you know, I thought, come on, uh, I thought these poems, you know, don't really add up. But then 71 really corrected yeah. Totally for me, and I thought mm. every game I covered most of the games up and down, yeah. and uh, I, I just marvelled at, and also their style of play yeah. and the excitement they engendered mm. through through their style of play, and uh, mm. sadly, uh, I just want to think that um, the big Scottish lock, uh, I've got it written down there, yeah. uh, Brown. Uh, what was his first name? Uh, he was an army officer, right. and they made him captain yeah. of, I think, mm. of the '66 Lions, right. uh, yeah. or was it '71? However, yeah, I've got it. Mm. And uh, he, um, I remember, in those days, right up close mm. at the line out, because we used to, we used to move around the ground yeah. because we didn't have the lenses that were powerful enough. Yeah. to go out, you know, and so you'd kind of, well, I did anyhow. I used to move around with it, you know, line outs and mm. that sort of thing. And uh, 
Gordon Brown. Gordon. Yeah. Uh, he was a tremendously, he was an army officer, ext- too polite to being a rugby player in a way. But uh, in this, about the first or second line out, he finally whacked him and he ended up on the ground. And he was lying there and um, he said, Ref, that chap struck me. And the ref was, oh, got his name. He uh, said, get on your feet. Let's get on with the game. Yeah. I thought yeah. these days, yeah. that'd be another 10 replays. Yeah. Let's kind of see, did he fall or was he pushed? Or, you know, but I mean, the game got on. Yeah. And uh, as I say, they really, um, while they were, they were playing here. I mean, I've got a photo that... Um, I sent to a guy the other day, mm-hmm. and uh, the All Blacks, where Piney's got the ball, yeah. and the All Blacks all around him, yeah. and looking over their shoulders, mm-hmm. uh, the Lions forwards, and yeah. they you know, Walker Nathan standing over the side yeah. watching, and the the balls, Piney's just feeding the ball back yeah. gently, and they there wasn't a hope of them getting through this wall of really tough, you know, extra strong all-black forwards. But, I mean, that that to me epitomised, I suppose, and bred an arrogance that I thought that we were immortal, that, you know, uh, say what you like, you're never going to kind of bend these men because they're the toughest of the tough and they know how to play this game, backwards, forwards, any way you like. But that that was kind of a lot of my thinking. And I must say, was great with that British Lions team, yeah. as a you know, I remember Vadanovich, yeah. you know, he uh, came out and someone asked him and he threw his cap on the ground yeah. and said, "They've got to get over the top and really, you know, take the message more or less saying, yeah. you know, let's get back to real strong warfare." Yeah. But I mean, they okay, they went on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget they lose one or two games, but they, you know, they became the strength and, I think, in a great way, encourage New Zealanders to get away mm. from a lot of our total dogged, you know, reliance on forward dominance. Yeah. And uh, yeah. let's let's get these ma- magical backs running. Yeah, that's really interesting. We spoke to Andy Leslie recently and he played, I think, for Wellington in that 71 tour and he said that that inspired him in the way he captain teams to play exactly like the Lions. Yeah. So they did have a huge um, influence. Would you say that 71 Lions team is potentially one of the best to have ever toured New Zealand? Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. I feel privileged that I'd been along. When you men- mentioned Andy Leslie, mm. I might say that you know I was pr- very good mates with Freddie Allen, mm. having played against him when he was playing for Grammar and I was playing for College Rifles and that sort of thing. But um, uh, the... Um, when they came off in one of the you know, trial games at Athletic Park, mm. possible problem, Andy Leslie, uh, as he walked past me, he said, um, you know, he had a great game. He said, mm. he said, I don't know, what, what have you got to do to get in these all-black teams? Yeah. He said, you know, I mean, he'd been ignored and uh, mm. old, they included him. And uh, what a great, you know, as I'd say, what a great captain, and what a what, and still today, what a great warm player and a great guy. But uh, old Fred, uh, I always remember being there also on the one of the other sidelines, and uh, he said to me, 
we're going to make that guy captain. It was Brian Law. <clears throat> and I thought, oh, and he said, um, what is, and I said, oh, he's a good player, but, you know, Fred just kind of, you know, not that he confided on me, yeah. but he was with his other selectors, but yeah. I thought, I looked at him and I thought, what, that guy, you know, I mean, yeah. from the way rapper, I thought, don't think he looks like a captain to me, yeah. but our Fred had kind of unerring me, and what a great choice. Mm. Uh, what a, I think, um, you know, I think he, Ken Gray, you know, um, probably there's about a good half a dozen of them that I still put right up above. Starting out, you know, starting the 70s, I suppose, with that 71 tour and the impact the Lions had, and then from an All Blacks perspective, at least, you, you're ending it with kind of the, the Grand Slam and, and you being on that yeah. that tour, and I think that's where you produce yeah. some of your you know, fantastic pictures, and, and that really relied on those close relationships with with players, and it's even more amazing hearing you say that you really needed to be in the the right place at the right time because you you couldn't move. You'd set up your uh, set up your focus, set up your shot. So, what was that Grand Slam tour like for for you? Well, it was fantastic, but you know we'd been used to moving around the ground where the Brits, mainly because how tight the grounds were, you know, with a crowd virtually, you know, right up nearly onto the touch lines, and that uh, in that 72-73 tour to Britain, <laughs> I can remember nearly every day of that tour, the most controversial tour that I reckon that the, the All Blacks had ever undertaken, because, um, you know, they were, they were waiting for us in a big way, and I can detail, but... Um, when we went to uh, uh, Clonethley for the opening, no, not the opening, the opening game was against Gloucester uh, down there and uh, it was a good game. But then we went across the seven to uh, play and, uh, you know, different ball game altogether. Um, I digress a bit from the original question, but uh, at Clonethley, I remember uh, when we went there in a, our media bus, and all the way to the ground, to um, um, oh, the ground, oh, study not you know, anyhow, I've got it, but Albert, all the way down, the Welsh lined the road, and you could hear them jeering, and when we got to the ground, I walked around. I thought, boy, this doesn't look, you know, late afternoon game. You could see the electric, the lights up in the press stand. That's how dark it became, yeah. and with the films we had. However, as we well as well recorded, of course that was the game we lost. And um, when it when it was over, I remember Delm Thomas, who was the captain of uh, Clenethley, they cheered him off, and he shook his fists, you know, <laughs> above, and. Uh, I went to photograph him, but we'd been used to, even our bad light here was still light years ahead of bad light in Britain. And when we went in the dark room, uh, the Welsh photographer, he developed his, he dish developed them. He'd taken it on a very basic camera, but he had this photo. And I looked at my film, another New Zealand photographer with me, and there was nothing 
what we were using, you know, and what we thought. And our images were too faint. But this guy very generously said, here, you know, have a frame. So we both took this, which became an iconic picture of it. But with the, with the Welsh then, I suddenly regarded that, um, in a way, I think great players, and I'm really, I'm slowly digressing, but I, I found that each time I've been back to Wales, mm. uh, as I say, admire the players, yeah. the crowd, boom, right. zilch, yeah. you know, yeah. they really do, you know, and I mean, yeah. you know, you know, you don't know. You know, not only play the players, but you play the crowd as well, and that sort of thing. But however, I, I, sadly, I, I'm bad at this now. At my age, I've digressed from the original oh, question. I'm not happy to hear no. about 72. No. I probably would have bounced back there because it's hard to have a conversation with Peter Bush and not bring up Keith Murdoch. Yeah. And so well, when you're talking yeah. about that yeah. that I tour can. and you, again, being in the right place. Yeah. Right. If I can, I've detailed this before, that I... You know, to process my my films and that, I used to go to the South Wales Echo, a paper that was right alongside Cardiff Arms, or you know, and it you know it's virtually a hop, step, and a jump from the paper into the into the into the ground. So I went along, and on the day, that infamous day, when we played Wales, Keith Murdoch's last game in the All Black jersey, or last game as far as New Zealand or anyone went. But I went to the paper and um, the sports editor was there and I said, oh, I went to leave my developing kit and uh, I said, oh, I'm sorry. And uh, I, I said, you know, he said, no. He said, this concerns you too, boy. Oh, come on in. Come on in. And he said, right, here we go. Page one. Welsh forwards pave way to glorious victory. Page two and three, comments from captain and star players. And three and four, we'll have a page of photos. And he went on and I said, uh, uh, I got a, he said, what is it, boyo? He said, uh, the New Zealander. I said, uh, uh, I've just got one question. What was this game played at two or three o'clock this morning? And they said, very smart. He said, wait till late this afternoon. He said, you'll find out. I said, oh, thanks. Anyhow, the game went on, of course. When it finished, I told the guy in that paper, I said, I'll go back to the Angel Hotel and I'll process my films, which I could do, you know, and I had a darkroom bag. And I said, I'll process my films. Then I'll bring the films back down to the paper so I can use your enlarger and just do a couple of three or four prints to wire. And, uh, oh, they said... That's great. Uh, I said, so I don't get under your feet. And they said, that's right. Anyhow, I went back, processed the film, and I went back to the paper, mm. you know, and went in, and uh, here it was. It was all shut. And I, the doorman, who I, luckily, I'd given him a couple of pins or a tie to or something, he said, oh, how are you going there, Boyle? Mm. And I said, oh, uh, uh, look, I said, uh, oh, he said, they've all gone. I said, what, what? He said, they've all gone home. And I, I said, gone home? He said, yeah, he said, here's a copy of the paper. And the sports paper, it had a second division 
Welsh team had had a win somewhere up in the Midlands and a one-column thing there had kind of all blacks lucky to play, you know. (laughs) And I went, pages two, three, nothing. So I I said, they told me, Mm. I said, I've left my other gear. Mm. And he said, well, he said, I I know what it means to you. And he said, Mm. and he said, and that's funny, he said, this is more than my job's worth. But he took a key and he said, yeah. oh, he said, come with me. Now he took me up and unlocked the dark room. Yeah. Now I'd only been in this dark room when I'd been a functioning unit. Mm. And he said, I said, well, where's the main switch? And he said, he had a torch. And yeah. about, we spent another 10 minutes. Yeah. And finally under the dark room table, yeah. I found the master switch. Yeah. Anyhow, I got a couple of prints done and the guy, from Brit- British Postal Service had a van where they did the wiring mm. and the guy said we can only stay for another five minutes he said yeah. so I, I, you know, I said nerves yeah anyhow I, I captured the photo yeah. and a couple of them and uh, I gave them to him mm. I had one of uh, Murdoch in the line out mm. and uh, anyhow I went back to the Angel Hotel yeah. and that might sound I went up walked in and I went up to the first floor and uh, where the All Blacks were caught. And, we, and I, Murdoch was there and he said, he said, what's wrong with you? I said, oh, you know, and he said, you need a drink, come on in. Mm. And uh, I, was, I was quite matey with him. And anyhow, I went in and uh, he got this bottle of gin and he got a glass mm. and he, whoosh, and I said, Keith, I said, you know, you got something to put with it? He said, well, not really. I said, I can't knock down. Anyhow, he rang room service mm. and they sent up a bottle of a tonic mm. and I was managed to pour a little bit in and I kind of sipped away yeah. and a few of the All Blacks came in mm. and they were ch- ch- chuckling and shortening away mm. and they said, oh, come to the dinner. And I said, oh, I haven't got an invite. And they said, oh, you know, that doesn't matter. Yeah. We'll loan you a blazer. <laughs> come with us. I said, I said, no, no. I said, I'm going to push. I said, that's, you know, anyhow. Of course, later in the night, I went, you know, rat-tat on the door. And it was old Keith, you know, Mm. who just had a a necklace of beads around his neck and said, come on, you know. And I said, "Uh, no, no, managed to shut the door on them. And, of course, then the next morning, you knew you could have felt the air, you know, but it was all, however, I jumped. And then, of course, that day went by, the team then took off for Bristol and, uh, you know, there was Murdoch on board and that sort of thing. And uh, uh, I, I was at the hotel and along came this chief photographer and another couple of these photographers from the South Wales Echo. Mm. And they said, oh, we heard, we heard that there's been a... I said, well, dearie me. Yeah. I said, thanks a lot for leaving the dark room. Or they said, we were so upset. I said, well, I'll tell you something that'll make you more bloody upset. I said, the All Blacks have just left for Heathrow. They're going home. And they said, what? I said, yeah, they've had a gutsful of the UK and they're off home. And the guy said, oh, he said, what will we do? I said, I've got some nice photos of them on the bus. Or they said, I said, thanks a lot for the effort. You You know, I said... I told them, I said, no, they were going to Bristol. But I went on and then 
without digressing too much, the next day a mate of mine, Chris Lander, who worked for the Mirror and had great contacts, you know, in and out of rugby, and that he said, um, uh, it doesn't look good, but he said, he said, I've picked up that it looks like they're going to send Murdoch. Anyhow, he and I, he said, you better get down to the railway station. So I went down to uh, uh, the Big Kings, or the, one of the main line stations. And uh, when I got there, there was uh, a fairly tall woman and a couple of guys, and uh, one of them said, aren't you one of the, you know, in New Zealand? I said, yeah. And they said, oh, look, um, how will we know what he looks like? Mm. I said, if you don't know what he looks like, you shouldn't bloody well be here. Mm. And they said, oh, you know, well, we'll follow you. Anyhow, when the, the train pulled in mm. and Murdoch got off with this, what was it, hyphen Stanley Herron. Mm. Hyphen, or oh, anyhow, he was a liaison officer. Mm. And he said, you get away. He said, you're, he said, you help cause all this. I said, who me? I said, oh, great. And he said, yes, you and your your team have, he said, get away from Keith and I, I've got enough. And I said to Keith, you know, I, you know I photographed him, of course, and I when I, got, I said, you don't have to go home. You got a visa for three months. I said, tell him to get screwed. I said, you could stay here. You could go and play league. Do what you like. I said, you, you know. And, he, you know, he said, oh, you know, I could tell he was too upset. Mm. Anyhow, the guy, they popped him in this taxi and these other mm. rugby union guys drove off with him. So anyhow, old, uh, my mate, Chris Lander, he said, Bushy, he said, they've got him booked on Qantas going out at 11 o'clock tonight from Heathrow. Yeah. And he said, up to you. But he said, you know him. And he said, our paper will pay big money for a photo of him. I said, I'm your man. So I went out to Heathrow, and when I got out there, uh, one of the photographers who's based out there, he took me and introduced me to the manager of Terminal 3. And this guy said, well, I said, I want to photograph him. And he said, well, we'll get you so he got me a swinger and another swinger. And he said, this will get you right through all controls. And he said, it'll get you into the passenger lounge. I said, well, fantastic. Yeah. And he said, uh, he said, well, what did this guy do? Mm. And I said, well, it's a short, long story, but he said, do you mind if I come with you? I said, all the better. Yeah. So what I love, we just march straight through all these customs, immigration, get stuffed, you know. So here we got up to the passenger lounge mm. and the Qantas flight was, you know, and he, he said, well, this is where he'll come. And I said, fantastic. I had my tape. I said, I've got a few words. And uh, I could hear the money in the till already. <laughs> Terrible thing to say, but I thought, boy, you know, also uh, a, a big story. So I waited and waited. And we went, you know how you're looking down and the aircraft is say, you're here, but you're looking down where the crew gangways are at the back and they're loading and anyhow I looked down and suddenly this big black I think it was Humber pulled up and uh, a door opened and a couple of 
people got out. And then I looked down and I said, hey, I said, that's Murdoch. And this official said, what? You know, I said, that's the guy, Keith Murdoch. And he said, really? And they went in and he said to me, he said, the only people who are permitted to shortcut all, he said, are cabinet ministers and, and members of the royal family. He said, and also an add-on, he said, American criminals sometimes being taken on, uh, you know, by, by marshals and set into the back of the plane. And he said to me, what did he do again? I said, he said, well, you could try. So I went down the passageway into the plane and, you know, there were purses coming and going and I had these swinging. But I also had three cameras. I looked like, you know, that's me. So I, I looked down the, the aisle, of the, but I, I couldn't quite see you know, through business class and that. Mm. And uh, next thing, this four ringer said, hey, he said, are you a passenger? I said, oh, no. I'm, he said, what are you doing on this plane? I, I said, well, uh, there's a friend of mine. He said, you get off this plane right now before I have you arrested. Get off it right now. Mm. And uh, I said, mm. I withdrew. Yeah. So the manager said to me, I've got no control. He said, uh, that's the captain, it's his aircraft. Yeah. So anyhow, I, I went back with him. And uh, finally, you know, the plane shut down and uh, I, I got the old tube back into London. And I went back and it was the sports person of the year yeah. dinner uh, up there in one of those famous hotels. Yeah. And I, I went up there and it was Mary Peters. She got it. Um, horsewoman or whatever it was and yeah. when I got there there were all these Pom, Terry O'Connor Land, a whole lot of them From they were all at a big table and they said well, what happened Bushy? I said well he's on the plane and they said did you get a photo? I said they took him they said mm. well they said why didn't you get on the plane? and I uh, uh, they said it's going to Cologne, or it's going, uh, sorry, to Frankfurt. Mm. And they said, why didn't you grab a ticket and get on the plane? And I, you know, I, I didn't think like that. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was a hundred odd, or 150 yeah. quid, was more money than I, yeah. well, I didn't have the money on me anyhow. Mm. But I, I said, and they said, you really are colonials, aren't you? You know, oh. <laughs> gulp, you know. But I, you know, and they said, they, they said, we'd have paid you 5,000 quid, Gosh. Yeah. you know, yeah. which kind of, if you got a few words and a photo, yeah. and of course, you know, that's the level they, mm. but how right, mm. I withdrew and, you know, yeah. so um, I could arguably say, I was virtually the last news guy to see him, yeah. and, uh, you know, okay, he bailed out, and it, the rest of it became history. But that tour, from then on, if I might say, it was really doomed, you know, in a way. Uh, and I might say that, if I can, backtrack. When, before we played the first game, they had a, a lunch, a British sportsman of, you know, uh, kind of more or less 
top um, sports writers and the rest of it. And it was held at the Savoy. Mm -hmm. And um, the chairman of the rugby union, Sir Arthur, oh, anyhow, he was a friend of my uncle's. Mm -hmm. And uh, however, we all went, went to this lunch and uh, the All Blacks were, you know, be upstanding for Mr. Grant Batty, Marrow's Club, Wellington, New Zealand. Be upstanding for Mr. Keith, uh, be upstanding, you know, and so they got through it. And then the media came on and uh, be upstanding was to Bob Hart, Rugby News. And I, I said, uh, Mr. Peter Bush, uh, freelance photographer, which I, so anyhow, I went, they said to me, this way, and um, they took me to a table, mm. and they were nearly all army and some churchmen. And uh, they said, uh, Pray be seated, gentlemen. And we all sat down. And I remember the bottles had the cork on them. So um, one of them said to me, uh, Bush, are you uh, uh, you're a newsman? I said, Yes. And they said, uh, uh, You'll have played the game. I said, at the highest level. Yeah. And they said, really? I said, yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, they said, really? Uh, you know, you, you played it. I said, yes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one of them said, may I chip in to the chairman of the table, mm -hmm. who was a major general, mm -hmm. and he, he said, certainly, uh, William. Mm -hmm. And he stood up and he said, no, I'll address this to you, Bush. He said, I'll make a wager now that that thug forward in your team, Keith Murdoch, will be sent from the field of play before the second game is played. Mm. And there were kind of nods. And I said, uh, <clears throat> may I reply? And they said, certainly. I said, uh, I take it we are all ex-officers who have served the Crown? And they yes, yes, uh, we're, you know, and I said, uh, yourself, Bush? I said, uh, First Infantry Battalion, <clears throat> Malaya Emergency. Oh, they said, right. And they said, I said, uh, if I may remind you, I said, uh, the rules of the mess about uh, that no wager will be undertaken with a stranger without first, in anyhow, I made this up. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> they said, uh, William, you'll apologise to our host. So he got up and he said, I proffer my apology. I said, apology accepted. And so, oh, that was it. Yeah. So William Ramsey mm. was the chairman yeah. of, of the rugby union. So anyhow, when the meal went on, and we then, uh, one of the waiters came up and said, excuse me, sir, is there a Mr. Bush here? And I said, yes, he said, uh, compliments of the top table. So William Ramsey would require your presence for the royal toast. So I said, if you'll excuse me, gentlemen. <laughs> you know, so I walked down and old Bill Ramsey said, yeah. uh, grab a part down here, would you? So anyhow, we had a toast. Mm. And uh, he said to me, he said, introduce me to Murdoch. So when got Murdoch, and I said, uh, I said, this is Sir William Ramsey, chairman of the rugby union. Mm. And uh, old Murdoch said, oh, g'day, mate. And uh, old uh, uh, Sir William said, uh, he said, I like the style. He said, uh, welcome. Yeah. And he said, uh, 
I'd like you to come with some of your fellow players. He said, I have a function every Christmas. And he said, uh, Bushy will make sure that you come uh, to my house for Christmas, uh, drinks and, and dinner. And uh, oh, Keith said, oh, sounds good to me. And uh, he said, you, he said, you remember it, Bushy? I said, right. Anyhow, of course, time went on, and uh, you know, I we went to the we went to the dinner, but of course, Murdoch w- was gone by then. And uh, old uh, Swilliam said to me how disappointed he was that uh, you know he said, uh, I don't know how it, and he said there wasn't anything I could do; it was out of my hands. But it really it left this kind of stain right through mm. the tour and you know I'm, I, I'm sorry I digress badly with it but it uh, it was something that I never forgot and I don't think any player yeah. who was on that tour will ever forget it either every one of them because uh, you know um, it it kind of it soured off yeah. all relationship with the team and the media and mm. you know but however um when it was over, I, uh, a funny thing, I flew, instead of going straight home, I, uh, I went across to Europe and then I flew to Israel. Right. And uh, I got into Israel, into Tel Aviv uh, airport, uh, about a week before the massacre when a couple of Japanese gunmen got off and stitched the airport up with, they'd smuggled weapons in with them, but I, I, I stayed in Israel and then, you know, came, I finally came home. Mm. I think uh, um, Hedley Mortlock had been on the tour and he and I worked together because mm. we both worked for Truth then and Hedley. Hedley uh, was on a paid, he was on a paid, had all expenses paid. So I used to share his room. Yeah. If there was a spare bed, if not, I'd I'd, so I'd sleep on the deck, uh, you know, and uh, mm. kind of it cut down expenses that way. Yeah. But however, it was, I I rattled on as though it was my life story. But it it was just it was a chapter of uh, yeah. of a way of life that uh, mm. you know seeing it then. But and those as I say those huge tours because I remember mm. Ken Gray's wife worked as a lift attendant in the James Smith's uh, complex. And, uh, you know, that was as, that was so, you know, they they had a farm, but they also were scrambling a bit, you know, to keep their head above water. And that that was the way it was. Uh, Piney right down, right through the whole team. Yeah. Unless you were from an insurance company and quite often they, you know, one or two big companies paid, you know, picked up the wage packet for you. But, uh, you know, I, as I say, it was a, another way of life that uh, yeah. is gone. And in your role as a, as a photographer, obviously, you're so close to the team for such, you know, travelling with them um, on tour with them for months on end, potentially. How hard was it um, when you had situations like Murdoch, you know, becoming friends with some of the players and then you've got to document moments that aren't so good for them as well? Well, you know, that was relying very much then on your own... Uh, on how they regarded you because, uh, uh, as I say, I remember once uh, going with the Aussies, uh, one of the short tours in Australia, where the All Blacks had been beaten. 
and uh, I went past the, the dressing room and, uh, you know, uh, not too happy frame of mind, but the Aussies, you know, uh, come on in, Bushy, grab a glass. Where have you been, mate? And, you know, win, lose or draw. I always found that with the Aussies. Yeah. You know, mainly um, that they, I suppose, you know, mm. became great mates with Nick Vard Jones mm. Uh, mm. because later when he became uh, a financial advisor yeah. and he worked for uh, the uh, or a famous French firm, it's a famous, but he worked on the outskirts of Paris mm. and, uh, you know, great mates and that sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, we went we went to Soissons to a, a, a to a rugby tournament they have. And it's a marvellous tournament where there's, well, there's kind of British Isles players come over, yeah. there's French players, and they have. It's a, it's a glorious weekend, you know. And uh, Soissons mm. is in the heart of the Wayne uh, country. And uh, anyhow, they... Uh, said, uh, you know, old Nick Farr said, you know, I hope you're coming up. I said, oh, too right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I got a lift up with uh, a Kiwi mate of mine who's based in uh, Paris. Uh, not, a, not my day for names today. Yeah. But he, uh, yeah. uh, I went up with him mm -hmm. and uh, he, he's been in Paris. He's married mm -hmm. to a French woman. And uh, we went up anyhow. Yeah. We got up there, and it was a marvellous weekend. And uh, yeah. the uh, old, uh, uh, as I say, Nick Farr, uh, they were down, and uh, that um, or famous uh, Irish Irish player or Welsh player, yeah. uh, or anyhow, he was there. And uh, at half time, yeah. old Nick said. They were down, really, and he said, listen, Bush, he said, do you feel like getting stripped? And he said, <laughs> we could do. He said, even if you only... I said, I'd like to, but, I, you know, I thought, yeah. even though it was fun, a fun game, yeah. they'd put in some bloody hard hits. Well, it was Moss Keenan, right. you know, the big... And he was there, and he said, I'm absolutely stuffed. And he was, but it was a marvellous yeah. weekend. And uh, as I say, well, if you wanted to know what rugby and, and the real friendship of the players, I mean, this was, to me, was a supreme example of these men getting together. You know, being real dyed-in-the-wool foes, and here they were enjoying you know, great conviviality. And uh, um, later, old... Uh, oh, he and I drove back to uh, drove back to Paris late at night yeah. and uh, dropped me off back at my hotel. But it was, I, I thought later, one of the examples of being privileged to tour and, you know, at, at that level. And, I, and, you know, as I say, um, something that I'll, I'll always um, treasure and is yeah. um, old... Um, Excuse me, I got a bit hoarse. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. It's all 
once said, he said, well, he said, you were one of us. Yeah, he said, why shouldn't you be able to come? Yeah. And I said, yeah, but I said, I never wore the black jersey. Mm. He said, didn't matter. He said, you're always there backing us up, mm. which I, you know, but mm. I suppose as a photographer, I could enjoy that kind of way, yeah. whereas a lot of scribes had to write the hard stuff, mm. which kind of then with McLean, who were, I was great friends with yeah. Terry, but man, they, uh, his name after 1970 South Africa, yeah. uh, old Terry didn't exactly yeah. rate too high. And uh, mm. well, 76, they, uh, we all had to, they had a court session mm. and you had to, you know, go before, you know, the jury. And uh, it was held in, uh, was it Kimberley, I think, however, yeah. at the session. They uh, uh, they said, you're fine, I forget, you know, for the Team Kitty, yeah. 20 round or whatever it was, yeah. said, for dumping your gear all over the ground where people can't pick their way down the sideline, yeah. let alone the players, mm. your gear is scattered back and forth, you know, anyhow, I paid mine. Yeah. Anyhow, when they called Terry up, mm. uh, he um, went and um, he put a, a rope tie, instead yeah. of a tie, <laughs> yeah. put a rope yeah. around his yeah. neck yeah. Yeah. and he went before them. Mm. And uh, I think Batty and uh, Sullivan were the judges mm. were, and they said, here, you old so-and-so, for betraying confidences. <laughs> and they find him, you know, yeah. and he said, I don't recognise the jurisdiction of this bloody kangaroo court. <laughs> So stuff, yeah. <laughs> and walked out. Yeah. But it, uh, you know, he did contribute. But uh, I mean, it was, you know, uh, being the great newsman he was, uh, writing the hard lines. Yeah. But uh, you know, um, as I say, uh, we were pretty good mates. And uh, you know, I, I remember when he, Terry's brother, Huey McLean and my uncle were both in the old soldiers uh, rest home in Auckland and we both went to see them and uh, they were both, you know, in their late 80s then and they had lunch and a bit of gravy had dribbled down and uh, anyhow, when we came away, old Terry said, he said, by God, Bush, he said, I will remember those men, he said, at the end, the Second World War, he said, what handsome young men, he said, still in their uniforms, he said, uh, uh, he said, any woman would have been proud to have been escorted down the aisle, you know, and he said, look at them now, a wreckage of humanity. He said, I tell you what, before that happens to old TP, he said, I've got a few pills. I said, but Terry, when the day comes, you most probably won't be able to remember where you put the pills. <laughs> and he said, get lost, you bloody scallywag, but Albert. We had that pretty loose, good association with it. But mm. I, uh, you know, um, uh, as I say, I felt at the end of it all um, pretty proud, really, now that, you know, as a, hopefully I'll put on the gold bib. Yeah, yeah. Will we see you on the on the sidelines during the Lions series? Put in. 
and uh, as ones I've got, um, I could show you that certificate mm. that uh, Jock Hobbs yeah. wrote for me. Yeah. I, mm, a great um, man. <laughs> yeah, mm. excuse me. Mm. I was at Carol's book yeah. one day, and I think it was early 80s or something, and Scotland were playing the All Blacks. Mm. And a woman who was then, I won't mention, mm. who was dishing out the bibs mm. on behalf of the union, yeah. in a note of scorn, you know, yeah. she said, oh, you know, John McCombe, this and that, others. And she said, we haven't got anything for you, Bushy. I said, really? Mm. I walked straight out on the field. Yeah. I thought, I won't say what I felt. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, you bitch. Mm. You know, I walked on the field and not an official raised a hand mm. to me. Mm. When the game was over, I ran into Jock a bit later and he said, I'll make sure <clears throat> that that never, ever, excuse me, ever happens again. Mm. And so he had this letter drawn up to whom it may concern mm. Peter Bush mm. as long as he may live. Yeah. Anyhow. <clears throat> mm. For the benefit of the... Uh for the listeners, uh, in '99, uh, New Zealand Rugby presented uh, Peter Bush with a uh, a gold bib, which uh, granted him access uh, anywhere Bushy wanted to go. And uh, a few years ago, I think the the old bib was looking a a bit worn. It had it had seen a few games. It had been worn over a few jackets, and so we um, New Zealand Rugby snuck snuck the old one out of the uh, out of the house, uh, had it framed and had had a new one presented. So. Got it hanging on the wall. Uh, and I've got the new one. It's got one or two. All blacks have written on it at times, but I, I keep it there in the plastic bag. So I went like a night donning his armour for the for the journey to the Crusades. I put it on, and uh, you know, I like that when people look askance because this time one of them said, uh, uh, "Make sure." That you make let the union know that mm. you've still got, you know, um, Jock's letter to you. Yeah, yeah. but however, uh, I'm sure that anyhow I got the okay for the access. But I had a friend of mine who was coming out from um, the UK, a great friend of mine, mm. and um, they call him the Minstrel, and um, he uh, is a tremendous photographer, yeah. and uh, he shouldn't. He works for an agency called Colour Sport. Now he should, he should, he should now be the principal of it, but he's not. But however, I got a thing the other day, and uh, the guy who is a journalist who's taken the company over, a British journalist who is not one of my favourite old mates, but uh, he's taken over this photo agency mm. and has decided. Uh, that uh, they won't be sending they might, my mate. Uh, and I thought, you know, it just in a nasty way, yeah. uh, he rang me, this uh, Bridger, you know, and he said, oh, he said, I think we might send uh, a woman, a young woman from the company. Well, that's his prerogative to choose. Mm. But this mate of mine, who arguably would be amongst the most experienced mm. Uh, of 
the British photographers, uh, has been virtually through the whim of a of a manager, you know, mm. and so it, it doesn't look like. But however, if he had a, I, I think at the last minute, hopefully he might be able to come because yeah. the two of us would work in harmony together. Yeah. We've we've done it before, and we can both, you know, I could shoot the broader view, and he could yeah. shoot the the. the the lines and you know, we can mix our stuff together. Yeah. But however, you know, sometimes you're not in a position to, uh, yeah. as I say, but however, I, I can't uh, in a way. Uh, also, seeing I've got so much slower with the old hip, uh, yeah. I've had the hip done, the knee done, you know, <laughs> uh, all sorts, that I'm uh, a patchwork quilt, but I, I still enjoy going for a walk in the evenings with my, I use my two sticks and I yeah. walk, try and walk up over the hills. Oh, yeah. My doctor said, I strongly advise you yeah. to take it easy. I said, <laughs> if I take it easy, I'll be dead. Yeah. So he said, well, suit yourself. Yeah. So I, you know, as I do, yeah. I prefer to, you know, still go for the walk and, yeah. and as I say, um, I was going to go down the other night mm. to, uh, but I thought, I hate saying it, it's so much easier sometimes yeah. watching it on the box. Yeah. But there's nothing like mm. being on the sideline. Yeah. But I might add too mm. that photographers are really mm. not the best judges yeah. of what's gone on because through their field of view, which is through the big lenses, mm. it's 12 or 13 degrees. They do not see quite often what's happening on the periphery, on yeah. either side. Yeah. And people say, well, you saw it, but they didn't. They mm. saw maybe mm. the tackle here, but then what happened on the side by the time the big lens has moved? Yeah. You know, so in a way, the overall picture, mm. where often from a higher stand looking down with a, a big lens, <coughs> you've got a far better view overall. But quite often <coughs> from ground level, mm you aren't the best judge of the game. Mm. But, I mean, I've often found people say, but you guys, you were right there. Yeah. I said, yeah, for, for, <coughs> for the actual try, but yeah. for the feed-up, you know, yeah. that quite often, as I say, you're clicking there yeah. and then it's moved. And mm. no matter, I mean, I know some of the younger bods mm. are very skilled at, as I say, one hand photographing and the other hand still sending you know yeah. good luck to them you know yeah. Yeah. but you know for the old digger I as I say proud that I was there at the beginning That's right. uh, at the dawn yeah. what I feel uh, from as I say watching the Kiwi Army team play to me was an insight to another way of rugby because instead of this heads down boys heads down never look up Dribble, dribble, dribble. Yeah. I thought, what a boring game. I thought, you know, all this kind of dribbling, dribbling, and then suddenly watching the Kiwi where the whole team handle the ball back and forward. I yeah. thought, hey, I want a bit of that. And you've seen some pretty amazing moments in, in your time and you've had the best seat in the house to some pretty amazing moments in history, really. Yeah. And we could go on for hours and hours about well, it. Does. Yeah. Because, as I say, and also... It's made, especially when not so much the guys th these days, well, they, they seem to make more friends at cricket 
where they can chat back and forth. But quite often the rugby, they go, they download, and they might say, oh, um, it's one of your... Uh, do you know who that player is? Oh, yeah. That's so... OK, right thing. And they'll do the caption, close the thing, gone. And where once, uh, in the old days, end of the dark room, all sharing away, and uh, when the, the game was over, uh, going for a, a drink or three. Yeah. But now, now, quite often, a lot of the dogs don't drink. Mm. And I, I, I can think of mm. one time, if I can, back to South Africa, a fourth test, and uh, uh, there were there were two other New Zealand photographers mm. and myself. Anyhow, the fourth test was, you know, uh, I think there were about 300 um, yeah. police around the ground and all that, you know, stuff very much. Uh, that was the apartheid regime was still in force. Yeah. And uh, anyhow, when we went back, to process our films, mm. I was with a, this other Kiwi photographer, yeah. and he had. They said, "Here's one dark room, and here's the other dark room for you, Bushy." I said, "Okay." So I processed my film, and I always carried my own developing kit, mm. you know, my own developer, and I used the effect. And I, I kind of, and I thought, I'll give it five and a half minutes a little agitation, you know, uh, mm. sun was very strong, I don't want too many. Anyhow, I uh, washed, put my film in, picked it up, oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, looking at it, the dark room next door, heard, oh, bushy, and I went next door, and he said, look, and what had happened was, yeah. he'd used their setup, and he'd put his films into the fix first. And when he, of course, what it did, it just stripped all the emulsion. And when he he took it out of the the fix, in the dark, of course, and then he put it in the developer, it was all all over. And of course, the thing was, he was just a spare film. And uh, he was working for a major news organisation. So we all, there were about eight or ten of us in this dark room, mm. and each one gave him yeah. two of their, maybe not their very best picture, yeah. but two of them. That's and, teamwork, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so he managed <coughs> to wire mm. these off, and uh, mm. I saw the telegram and had came and had, congratulations, Joe, best coverage we've had in 20 years. <laughs> No one let on, yeah. and to this day, yeah. uh, that they were, you know, content that this superb coverage. Of course, when later they said, oh, he said, my my baggage got misplaced, you know, yeah. lost the eggs. Yeah. So you know, but it was yeah. it was a kind of camaraderie yeah. that existed. I mean, these days, mm. I think someone would say, too bad, mate, mm. get it off one of the agencies, which yeah. is what they would do. Yeah, and I guess that's a reflection, you know, great camaraderie on the field from the teams and then with you guys off the field. Hey, we're probably running out of time here, but just a couple of quickfire questions. I have one, Charlotte may have another as well, but one from me is if you could pinpoint one image you've taken, potentially as your greatest or not necessarily your greatest, but your most memorable or what what would that image be? Would have been Kirkpatrick leading the team. Mm. At... um, 
under the ground to play Ulster in 1973. And uh, I've got a, there, he's Kirky's leading the team, there's Joe Carrum behind him and, you know, and standing there, uh, sharpshooters from one of the top British regiments with loaded firearms. Because the threat had been made mm. by the Ulster Defence Force, mm. the UDF, that they would kill, shoot and kill a player from either side. So throughout the crowd, they had in trench coats mm. with stem guns and armour lights and snipers mm. around. They, the whole, they didn't let the crowd know, mm. but they could tell that, you know, mm. the team coming onto the field past, you know, soldiers, the crowd not to know, mm. with armed weapons, you know, and taking the field. Mm. So I took this shot and in a way, to me, it symbolised that hell or high water, mm. the game was going to go on. Mm. And to see the tension on these young players, mm. on their faces, was enough to uh, really, uh, it's my wife Jane, that, uh, you know, was an, it echoed with me forever, you know, because later that night, if I, without getting into it, mm. I... Um, uh, I was with Bob Howard, yeah. and we'd been invited to go on this uh, Irish TV program, mm. and uh, we we went to uh, this famous uh, where the BBC operated and the studios. And while we we're there, they uh, said, "Oh, great, you guys could come in." And they had the grog, and they, you know, they said uh, it was a, a great supper laid on, mm. and it said. You know, once we'd been on, mm. on TV, uh, they said, okay, let's get stuck in. Mm. Just then a guy said, excuse me, sir, he said, uh, your name Bush? I said, yes, sir. He said, there's a soldier downstairs, mm. an officer waiting for you. Mm. I thought, gulp, because I'd asked this guy mm. from this, Loyal's regiment, I said, listen, would be any chance through one of these Irish guys as well of meeting up or going on a patrol? Mm. And <clears throat> I thought I'd forgotten about it, mm. but here they were. So they, yeah. I said, went downstairs, went up. The colonel said to me, sign here, you know, absorbing anyone. Yeah. If any injury occurred, so we went down the not the Falls Road, went down one of the other mm. uh, big roads, and uh, they scattered this patrol. And uh, the one of them said, "Have you been in the army?" I said, "Yeah." And he said, mm. "You know what happened?" If he said, "Up there, there's a block of flats," mm. and I never heard it. But a shot was fired, and one of the soldiers, mm. it went through the side. They were wearing berets, yeah, yeah. and it skidded past him, and they all mm. 
they all went in to cover it anyhow. Uh, this patrol <coughs> finished about <coughs> three in the morning. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd got a bit of tape from them and photographed these guys. And their colonel said to me, I can't run you back. Mm. We were staying at Denardry, about mm. 20 k's outside uh, Belfast. Mm. And he said, but he said, I'll get a, a taxi from anyhow. They got this taxi and they said, take this man back all the way to Denardry. And they, he said, all right. And anyhow, when we left, this guy said, been out with the Brits, have you? I said, yeah. He said, think you've seen it all, do you? I said, not really. He said, I'll show you another side of it. I said, I've seen enough, mate. And he said, no. He said, we'll go down the Lona Dune Road. Mm. Anyhow, down we went. I said, you heard what he said, get back. Anyhow, we came round a bend in the road. Mm. After a while, and he said, God, look. He said, it's the bloody IRA. And there was a roadblock that had a mm. log and I pulled up. Mm. And a guy came up the window and uh, the driver said, by then he said, they'll shoot the two of us. I said, really? And the other guy came up and he said, good evening. And I said, yeah. And uh, he said, I said, oh, I had my passport. He said, you're a New Zealander? I said, yeah. And he said, you've been out with a brick patrol. And I, I said, good intelligence. He said, we get around. And he said, no. the driver looks in a bit of a mess. And the driver had filled his tweeds. Mm. And uh, he said to me, you better drive. Mm. He said, he looks hopeless. Mm. So I drove from there back mm. to our hotel. Yeah. And I got there and I said, thanks a bloody lot, mate. I said, it's a pity they hadn't taken you out. Yeah. And he said, oh, you know, I said, Playing the big boy, mm. and you know, anyhow, we got back to the hotel, and you know, first thing I ran into were a bunch of our guys who were going around apple pieing people's beds. Yeah. <laughs> they said, "Hey, <clears throat> come on, champ, you know, join in." I said, "I've had enough excitement <laughs> for one night, for one lifetime." Yeah. And, you know, anyhow, yeah. Yeah. we got on the way. The next day, McLean said, "My God, Bush." I seem to hear rumours. Uh, what have you been up to without telling me? <laughs> but, you know, we got, uh, you know, yeah. as I say. But it was all, it was all part of it, you mm. know. And uh, you know, I feel, feel privileged mm. that I was able, you know, to see it yeah. from both sides, you know, yeah. of of the game, the players, and still, yeah. you know, um, as old Brian Lahore always said. Any time you're over here, Bushy, you know where to come for a cover. Yeah, you know, yeah, and his wife, nice. lovely woman. Yeah. No, no, I did. I've, uh, I could give myself a pat in the back. Yeah. For being lucky. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I did. Yeah.